Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to this edition of the Tuesday People podcast. Uh, we have a very special podcast for you today. We've been doing this for more than a year and a half. And uh, given the holiday weekend, uh, we thought it was an opportunity to kind of reflect back on some of the lessons that we have learned here in the Tuesday People community. Thanks to my old professor, Maury Schwartz, and the lessons he inspired many years ago when I wrote the book Tuesdays with Maury. And you, our community, and the questions that you've had and some of the guests who have joined us who have explored a lot of those ideas about what a man finds out about his life when he realizes he's about to die. And we'd like to stitch them together in today's program and share some of them. Perhaps you've missed some of these programs over, over the last year and a half. Perhaps you'd like to hear some of them again. And so with Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer as our guide, we're going to take a look back at some of the highlights of the Tuesday People podcast right now. Hi, everyone. This is producer Lisa, and I'm going to be your guide today through our very special Tuesday People Best Of show. I thought that the best place to start would be at the very beginning, episode one. Uh, this episode was just simply entitled Tuesdays with Maury, because that's what this podcast is about. Now here's Mitch with the story of how Tuesdays with Maury began. Now let me share with you the story of how this all happened. It was, well, it really began in 1975, 20 years before I would ever go and see Maury. 1975, my freshman year at Brandeis University, I was a typical freshman starting, I was very young when I went to college, I had barely turned 17, and I had signed up for a sociology class and I walked down the hallway and went into this class and there were nine kids in the room and I immediately sized up the situation and said, no, 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 this is much too small a class. If I cut it, they'll know I'm not here. So I decided I was going to drop the class, Lisa. I was mm, literally going to go. As one would. As one would. <laughs> I was going to go and, and to the registrar and drop the class. And that's when the professor, a short silver-haired, green-eyed, uh, wonderfully crooked-smiled professor named Maury Schwartz began to call roll. And one of the problems when your last name begins with A is you can't get out fast enough. And he said, Mitchell Album. And I could have continued going. You know, Lisa? How far to the door were you? I was halfway out. I was one leg in and one leg out. I was, I was one, and, and that one leg, if the, if the out leg had won, I would not be doing right. this podcast. I would not that be talking. I, my life would be 100% different. And I always tell this to people, on such small things in life, can things change? Your whole world can change. If I had just dropped that class, he, wouldn't, he didn't know it was me. He could have been going Mitchell Album, Mitchell Album, Bueller. Bueller, you know, that kind of thing. And I just would have been down the hall. And instead, out of guilt, 
I kind of slid back in and I raised my hand. And I said, here, um, Mitchell album. And he said, is it Mitch or Mitchell? Which do you prefer? Now, for most of you, I'm sure that doesn't mean a whole lot. But for me, I was kind of touched that he asked me that question because I have one of those names that depending on what the teacher wants to call you, at the beginning of the year, you're either Mitch or Mitchy or Mitchell. And so I said, well, Mitch, my friends call me Mitch. And he said, all right, Mitch it is. And Mitch? And I said, yeah. He said, I hope one day you'll think of me as your friend. So I knew that cutting Aww. the class was out of the question at that point. <laughs> I was locked in. I was going to have yeah, to go to every right class. <laughs> I don't think I ever missed one of his classes as a result of that. But that began this really amazing relationship that uh, I had with Maury. And it spanned all four years of college. I took every class that he offered. I majored in sociology because of him. I wrote an honors thesis in sociology because of him. By the way, Lisa, my honors thesis was entitled Football, Its Role in Society. I don't that know. That is deep, Mitch. Yeah. I, I don't know what that says more about me or higher education. I'm sure it's still the seminal work on that topic. If you want to go to the Brandeis Library and find it, it's still there. Uh, I think we need to do an episode on that. Yeah, <laughs> way, way down the road. That'll be episode <laughs> number 150. <laughs> but really, I just did it so that I could continue to see Maury. Honestly, that was the that was the motivation. And we became more than just teacher and student. It was kind of almost like an uncle and nephew situation. I was young. I really looked. He was the first sort of adult that kind of treated me like an adult because your parents, you know, you're always their your kid to their parents. And and he asked me what I wanted to do with my life. He was really interested in that. And and uh, came graduation time, I went out and bought him a present. I'd never bought a teacher a present ever. I didn't have any money, so it had to be a very cheap present. But I got a briefcase for him, and I gave it to him. And he began to cry a little bit, which wasn't unusual for Maury. And he turned it over and around and back and forth. And he said, Mitch, you're one of the good ones. Promise me you'll stay in touch. I said, I will. He said, promise. I said, okay, I promise. Say it in a sentence. <laughs> like we're learning French. <laughs> I said, okay, I promise I'll stay in touch. And then I proceeded to break that promise every day, week, month, and year for 16 years. So 16 years without even a phone call while I was busy pursuing my career. I was ambitious. I got into the music for a while, and then I got into the world of journalism, and my career kind of took off. And I have no excuse. It was inexcusable. You know, one year you say, I'm going to go back and visit. The next year you say, maybe I'll call, and then I'll go back and visit. The next year you say, maybe I'll write, and then I'll go back and visit. And meanwhile, my career was taking me places, and I was doing very well as a sports writer. I, I got a job at a major newspaper. I got a column. Suddenly, I was doing a radio show. Next thing you know, I was on television. You know, my contemporaries and people are hanging around with from, uh, you know, the Pistons and the Lions and then Michael Jordan and people like that. And you win an award and, you know, you buy a bigger house and you get another award and a bigger job and a bigger paycheck and a bigger house. And you're on television. Someone asks for your autograph. Someone takes a picture. You're hanging around with this guy, hanging around with that guy. And one day you wake up and you say, this was meant to be. You know, I was hatched out of the egg with all this success coming my way. We forget the people who make us the kind of people who can have that kind of success, right? We forget our, what, teachers. Teachers and, I, and mentors. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and I forgot mine for 16 years. Now, Maury, during that time, he just did what he always did. He taught small groups of kids at Brandeis University, sociology. He didn't aspire to become the dean. He didn't have to switch over to Harvard, try to prove that he was climbing. You know, he was very content reaching a handful of kids and, 
At nights and weekends, he wasn't what you would call a, a, a pop culture nut. He didn't watch a lot of television or things like that. He would have discussion groups at his house. Uh, they would take on any kind of topic. He would go to a, a church in Harvard Square on Wednesday nights. Uh, it was a, a program called Dance Free, and you would pay five bucks and go into this church, which, by the way, I don't understand, because if it was Dance Free, why are they charging five bucks? But <laughs> Not he would quite go, free, but yeah, close. Yeah, semi-free. <laughs> cheap dance. Yeah. And he would go in there and he would dance with all these kids. You know, he'd, he'd have a towel and a sweatpants and he'd dance the rumba and the merengue and the tango, all these crazy dances. They were playing rock and roll music over the speakers, but it didn't seem to bother him. That's who Maury was. He was just joyous that way. He found joy in every day. And he went through his life like that, very content, through his 50s, 60s, and into his 70s. And then in his 70s, he began to notice a change in his body. Long walks would leave him tired, and he would say, ah, you know, I'm getting old. Going up steps, he'd have to stop, rest. He said, boy, really getting old. Then he began to stumble inexplicably. He'd get out of the car and just trip. And one time he was at a wedding with his wife, and they were dancing, and he fell on the dance floor, just tumbled over. And as he would later say to me, Mitch, I never fell when I danced. So he knew something was wrong, yeah. And that began this long process, a doctor and a specialist, an MRI, a CAT scan, on and on and on. Eight months or so of him trying to find out what was the matter with him until one day, a very nice day, in Boston, he sat across from a Boston neurologist, and the doctor said to him, I have bad news, Maury, you have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And Maury had grown up in New York. He actually remembered Lou Gehrig, the famous baseball player who made the mm-hmm. speech, you know, today I consider myself the luckiest, 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 luckiest man, man, man in the world. Man, man, man. Yeah. Well, Maury didn't feel that. And when he heard that he had Lou Gehrig's disease, he said to the doctor, that's fatal. And the doctor said, yes, it is. He said, well, it used to be fatal, right? I mean, they have a cure for it now. No, the doctor said, there's no cure. Well, how long do I have left to live? Maury asked. Hard to say. The doctor said maybe a couple years. Well, Maury walked out of that office to the same beautiful spring day that he had left behind. And he saw people enjoying the day and riding bicycles and driving around and shopping. The sky was blue and a voice inside of him started to yell, Hey, 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 don't you know what just happened to me in there? Isn't everybody supposed to come running up to me now and say, we heard the news, you know, no more blue skies, no more nice days, no more bicycle riding. We're all going to be sad with you. We're all going to be gray with you because you got a death sentence. You know, you can imagine how that's what you want to have happen, right? Yeah, that's how we would all feel because that's how we're feeling inside. That's right. And how can, how can life go on when we just got this right. news? Why does the world go on spinning? Remember that song, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's the end of the world for you, so it's got to be the end of the world for everybody. Well, he waited for that to happen, and it didn't happen. And so on the steps of that building, because the world cannot cater to an individual, my old professor, Maury Schwartz, made a very profound decision. He either was going to go one direction and be angry and bitter all the rest of his life. Why me? Or he was going to find something positive in this terribly negative hand that he had been dealt. And because he'd always been more positive than negative, and because he'd always been a teacher, 
he decided to take the positive route and try to find some information and teach about what was happening to him right up to when he died. Here he is from our conversations, one of our earliest conversations, talking about that moment. It took a while to accept it. Not the first day, or even the first week. But I had to keep telling myself, that's who I am now. I disabled, and I continually, progressively, disabled person. Mm -hmm. And that's how I will be the rest of my life, physically. But not emotionally, and not psychologically, and not cognitively. So I had to gather my strengths together. And there began Maury's journey. We've learned so much about Maury and his aphorisms and his thoughts on life and death over the past 88 episodes. It was hard to choose which of those episodes to highlight in today's show. But next up, I thought that perhaps a good place to revisit would be episode five, Giving is Living. So here we are with some wisdom from Maury that he shared with us during that episode. The best that you can feel is when you tell somebody else that you love them and not necessarily when they tell you that they love you. That's because giving is living. And it's not something that we should wait until our dying day to figure out for sure. And Maury had it figured out much earlier in his life and he was able to share it with me. Let's listen to a little bit of what Maury had to say on this subject. You would think when your own health is threatened, your attention would turn inward. Yeah. And you would only say, well, I got to take care of myself here. You know, the hell with everybody else. But you seem to be an odd case. You seem to have gone yeah. the opposite way. Maury Stein made that remark to me. He said to me, you're remarkable. Usually when you're sick, you want everybody to give to you. You're giving out all the time. Mm -hmm. I comfort people who come here and cry and ask me for advice. And I'll wake up and say, my God, you're comforting me. I'm supposed to be comforting you. I said, it's mutual. If I comfort you, I feel comforted too. So it goes both ways. And when I stop doing that, I don't want to be here. That, I think, is my function in life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Forgive yourself first, then forgive others, was an aphorism that Maury Schwartz held dear, especially in his final days of life. In this episode, we discuss the topic of forgiveness. Do you have family or friendship issues that are lingering? What grudges are you holding on to? 
What forgiveness do you not want to extend? How bitter do you want to be? Maury shared a very personal story of his with his close friend Norman that summed up the need for forgiveness in our lives. Let's step inside Maury's classroom and learn how to extend that olive branch and shed your regrets simply by saying, I'm sorry. Maury wasn't opposed to crying over topics. He did. But I never saw him cry as much as we discussed this particular topic of forgiveness. And I'll tell you how it came about. So I walked into Maury's study, as I did every Tuesday. And on this particular Tuesday, I looked up on the shelf, and there was a bust of Maury. A bust. You know, his head <laughs> sculpted. Like Shakespeare. Yeah, which I had never noticed before. And I don't really know a lot of people who have had busts sculpted of them, no. except Mozart, the little one that they put on the piano, yeah, you know, yeah. or Beethoven. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. And I said, uh, what's that about? That bust. And he said, oh, well, that's my good friend Norman. And I said, Norman, I've been coming here for a long time, and I never heard the name Norman. And he explained a little to me who Norman was. Listen. I don't know if I told you the story about this great friend of mine who was a psychiatrist, a sculptor. We had a terrific relationship. And we were great friends for many years. Then they moved to Chicago. Okay, so we know Norman was a good friend of his. We know Norman, in addition to being a psychiatrist, was a sculptor. Okay. Here's where the story about Norman got very interesting. And here's where Maury's demeanor changed when he started to tell me about what happened to their friendship. Listen. And after they moved to Chicago, my wife had a serious operation. And they did not, and I knew they knew about it, because friends of ours told us they told them about it. Mm -hmm. And they did not in any way get in touch with her. So we were both very hurt. So we dropped the relationship. And I met him a couple of times, and he made a gesture to try to reconcile. And I didn't accept it. Because he never tried to explain it, or never tried to say why. And then, not so long ago, he died of cancer. Now, perhaps this is already resonating with you. Perhaps there is someone who you were once close with and you had a falling out over some particular thing and you lost touch and then, horror of horrors, you found out that they died. And what does that do? You no longer have the opportunity to reconcile. And that hit Maury very, very hard. Listen. And now I feel so sad that I did not go to see and try to reconcile. So indeed, it's very important to get out of that stupid kind of hurt position where somebody disappointed you, so you give up. It pains me greatly. So forgiveness is so important. And we don't recognize it until it's too late. 
I'm sorry, I bought up the store. So. No, bitch, tears are fine. Now, folks, I want to tell you that when you are afflicted with ALS, as Maury was, you don't really need reasons to cry. You know, you can pretty much pick any day of the any minute of the day and start to cry. When you need someone to carry you from place to place, when you need someone to turn your head so that you can see them, when you need someone to blow your nose for you, wipe your eyes for you, wipe your own rear end for you because you can't do it, you don't really need great rationale to start crying, right? Lisa, you can pretty much mm-hmm. yep, just let it, let, yeah. let it go. But I have, to, I have to tell you that Maury's tears that followed as he told me this story were unlike any of the tears that I ever saw him cry for himself or for his situation or for his impending death. They were tears that ultimately began to come from his solar plexus, you know, the kind mm-hmm. that would rob you of your breath, the kind, <gasps> that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Why yeah. and why, he said, why did I let that foolish argument separate us for all those years? It means nothing to me now. Nothing to me now. All I wish is that he was here in front of me and I could hold his hand and I could tell him what a good friend he had been for all those other years. But I can't and I I never will. And he Mm -hmm. looked me square in the eye and he said, Mitch, if there is anybody, anybody who you are fighting with or you're feuding with, somebody you cared about or once cared about, Let it go. Let it go. If you are 100% right, say you're wrong if it'll end it. Because when you get to where I am, and you will get to where I am, you're not going to care who was right or wrong. Death Ends a Life But Not a Relationship was an important quote from Maury Schwartz, and one he often shared. Here, Mitch discusses, with recordings from Maury, Life after loss and how love doesn't need to die along with the one you love. Is the end of a life the end of a connection to someone? How do you keep from forgetting a loved one after they're gone? Let's listen. I think I quoted that line to you. You know, death ends a life, but not a relationship. That's what happens. Pretty much everybody who meets me or who finds out who I am tells me a story about somebody that they lost because Tuesdays with Maury is at essence you know that's that's its core it's a dying professor so they feel like let me tell you about my whoever it might be and invariably they'll end up crying as they're telling me the story and so I have had to learn over the years well what do you say what do you say at a moment like that what do you say to someone who's missing someone like that and it's forced me to think very deeply into the issue of How does death end a life but not a relationship? What relationship do you want to have with your loved one after they're gone? And right Mm -hmm. there in what I just said is a very important first step of, of this whole concept. You can have a relationship with your loved one after they're gone. Now, that for many people is an alien concept. They're gone. They're in the ground. Never see them again. What do you mean, Mitch, Lisa, relationship? How can I have a relationship with somebody who's not here? Well, first of all, I liken it always to a penny in a piggy bank, all right? So if you take a penny and you put it in a piggy bank, for all intents and purposes, the penny's gone, right? 
you will never see it again. Because, you, you know, you can't break into a piggy bank. That's against the rules. <laughs> so you'll never see it again. It's gone. It's missing from the earth. Never touch it. Never feel it. Never look at it. Never spend it. Correct? Am I right? Mm-hmm. I'm but with you. take the piggy bank, lift it up, and shake it. And what happens? There it is, right? So you know it's there. You hear it. Still there. It's not in your hand. You can't spend it. It's not the same relationship you had with that penny, but it's there. Well, if you think of that piggy bank as your heart, and you think of the penny as your loved one, and when you look into your heart, shake your heart up a little bit, and there they are, in all their sound and glory and memory, you can picture them, you can, you, you know, when you hear a penny, you, you can kind of see it in your mind, right? Oh, I, the penny's moving around, it's bouncing around. There, Same kind of thing. So first of all, you have to accept the fact that just because somebody is gone, like the penny, doesn't mean they have disappeared from your existence. Your heart is your repository for all those who are no longer with you. It is okay to think, all right, I'm going to have a relationship with somebody who's gone. This is from Maury Schwartz himself. Think a lot about what is there beyond. Is there anything? Is there a soul? Is there a consciousness? All my friends are convinced that love goes on. I think so. Well, love going on and and you going on are not necessarily the same thing, are they? No, but my love for my friends, their love for me, they theirs will go on. So I hope that that helps. I hope that uh, if there is someone that you're missing this time of year, that is maybe a new way of thinking about it that allows you and permits you the freedom to embrace your memories without feeling like, oh, people are going to think I'm crazy or weird or lost in the past. The past is part of your life, too. You don't just drop it just because somebody's no longer there. This was a very popular episode and something we should think about every day that we're living. What would be your perfect day? If you knew the next day would be your last, how would you spend it? What would make it perfect? Would you jet off to a tropical island, try some adventure you've never tried before? Or like Maury, would you choose to surround yourself with family and friends, eating, loving, and sharing stories, just like any other normal day? In this episode, Maury discusses the elements of a perfect day and how what we would choose reflects how we are living our lives. We think this is a perfect way to end this episode. And we hope you do, too. Here was Maury's perfect day. Get up in the morning, do my exercises, have a lovely breakfast of some kind of sweet rolls, and uh, probably tea. I go for the health club for a swim and a jacuzzi. Come home, have a nice lunch with delicatessen, and have all my friends come in, one, two at a time, talk about friends and family, talk about love, how we care about each other, and what we meant to each other, 
then have a great dinner, maybe go to this lovely restaurant where you can get great pasta, something like that, or duck, I love duck, whatever the meal, and then go out dancing the rest of the night with great dance parties. Just dance free until I'm exhausted. Then go home and have a deep, deep sleep. That would be my day. Now, what should strike you about that, what struck me about that, was how ordinary it was, right? Get up in the morning, have breakfast. We do that all the time. Go to the health club for a swim or a jacuzzi. We do that all the time. Perfect. Right? Come home and have lunch, deli, friends and family. Okay, maybe we don't do that every day, but certainly that's not an uncommon thing that people do. After an afternoon of talking with friends and hanging out, he just wanted to go to a nice restaurant, and then he wanted to dance all night. None of those things are out of the reach of anybody who's listening to us. No matter what your economic state, no matter where you are, unless you too are afflicted with a disease that keeps you from the physicality of this, this is a really basic day, right? Yep. And so I said to him, okay, that's it? (laughs) You know, sort of like that. I just gave you anything. It's like a genie comes out of the bottle and says you can have three wishes. (laughs) And and they say, well, I I wish these pants were a little looser. (laughs) You know, that's, that's not a wish. Well, he said, what do you mean? And I said, it's such an ordinary day. And he basically said, well, that's the point. And I realized that there were two great lessons in that. One, when you are robbed of the ordinary, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Right. Think of, Lisa, the last time you had a really knock you on your feet, cold or flu. Mm-hmm. The only thing you want, right, is, oh, to, to let my head clear up and let me, I can get out of bed. I can't even get out of bed. Yeah. Just if I could just get out of bed and walk around and go make myself a cup of coffee, right? Such a yep. simple thing, but an ordinary thing, but it's been robbed from you by this terrible cold. Right. So now you yearn for it even more. You, you yearn for it more than you yearn for the yacht and the flight to the French Riviera and the water, because yep. those, those are not in your life anyhow. You don't miss things you don't have. No. But you miss what you used to have that is suddenly taken from you, right? Yeah. Right. So when you don't have those things, suddenly they become precious. And that was the first part of what Maury taught me with this little exercise. I don't have the ability to get up and have breakfast. I don't have the ability to go out and just go dancing. I don't have the ability to take a jacuzzi or to go for a swim. Oh, if I only just had that again for one more day. And indirectly, he was sort of saying to me, Mitch, you can do this any day you want. Mm -hmm. So you can have my perfect day any day you want. And the indirect lesson of it was, do you appreciate the fact that you could have this day? When was the last time you spent a day just like that? And of course, my answer would have been, I can't remember because all I did back in those days was work. I just worked all day long, mm-hmm. work, 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 work all day long. You notice there was no part of this that contained work. Right. He never said, I'm, and then I'll go to the office for a few hours. Yeah. That wasn't no. in there. <laughs> so 
That was the first part, was that the ordinary was extraordinary because he, he could no longer do the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the trick is to the second part of this, which is the beauty of a simple day, if you can appreciate it. If you can just appreciate the simple beauty, then a simple day becomes the perfect day. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back with a full brand new show next week. Until we see you then, on behalf of Lisa Goitsch, I'm Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, We're Tuesday people.